0: In episode one, we went through a definition of metaphysics, and we described how we are all, knowingly or unknowingly, wearing the the metaphysical glasses that Aristotle provided us, um, and this is largely based on a a subject-object duality, which is explains the materialist viewpoint. Uh, of the modern mind, frankly, right? We think that there is an an objective reality outside of us and a subjective filter or lens or interpretation uh, that we use to engage with that, that objective reality. And when we take off these metaphysical glasses and we start to look at the world in a new way, we see that causation and substance are illusory, traditionally, When looking through subject, object, metaphysics, we took subjects and objects to be what is real, but allowing us to take a step back, a meta step, if you will, to say that what we thought was real was really a consequence of the way we are looking at the world, or the way we're categorizing the world, perhaps.
1: Episode two, we're going to go deeper. We're going to unpack quality as the, what piercing would describe as the sort of pre-intellectual reality. Yes. that It's the raw material from which we later derive subjects and objects.
0: Pre-intellectual cutting edge of reality. That's what he's saying is fundamental here. So we must keep in mind that we're using language to describe that which is ineffable, which is beyond words. So this is why we keep asking you for patience. And you, <laughs> yeah. To see this thing and describe it through language, that which is inherently beyond language is quite the tricky task.
1: Piersig says, when you try to use thought to approach something that is prior to thought, your thinking does not carry you toward that something. It carries you away from it. To define something is to subordinate it to a tangle of intellectual relationships. And when you do that, you destroy real understanding. The central reality of mysticism the reality that Phaedrus had called quality in his first book is not a metaphysical chess piece. Quality doesn't have to be defined. You understand it without definition. Quality is a direct experience independent of and prior to intellectual abstractions. Quality is indivisible, undefinable, and unknowable in the sense that there is a knower and a known, but a metaphysics can be none of these things. A metaphysics must be divisible, definable, unknowable or there isn't any metaphysics since a metaphysics is essentially a kind of dialectical definition and since quality is essentially outside definition this means that a metaphysics of quality is essentially a contradiction in terms a logical absurdity um so that that could be the name of the show Uh, (laughs) a logical absurdity (laughs) i like i like transjective metaphysics The, the the
0: elegant uh I guess, rebrand for metaphysics of quality. But in my mind, you know, and again, back to the scientific worldview, that would point to this logical absurdity as a weakness or something that that completely um, disproved this metaphysics, I guess. But that's because we're evaluating it through a scientific worldview where two opposite things cannot be the same thing at once. Right. But the the mystics would say um oh what was i can't remember if this was in Persig's book or not but at the edge of death the the sunni mystics talk about how joy and suffering becomes one like paradox is the boundary of experience in a way so in my what i'm trying to say is in my mind that there is this logical absurdity that to the metaphysics of quality or transjective metaphysics actually points to how near it is to the boundary of our ability to perceive reality.
1: It, 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 it comes down to the fact that we're, we're simply too polarized towards um, a certain philosophy. And we'll talk about this more, but the West and the East is analogous to the left and the right hemisphere of the mind. Mm-hmm. The left hemisphere, which is responsible for uh, language and for boundaries and for division and for, uh, for, for turning the world into units for the sake of organization. It's the ordering principle. Right. It's the function of the left hemisphere. The right hemisphere is responsible for process and unification, yeah. and and for 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 um, reveling in ambiguity and chaos. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that neuroscience, modern neuroscience, in no way uh, contradicts the claims of Eastern philosophy and the Tao and the idea of chaos right. and order. It's the relationship between the two that is reality. The left hemisphere sees the world as static objects, and the right hemisphere sees things as dynamic processes.
0: Is this uh, reductionism versus holism, perhaps? One's putting things into buckets, one is trying to look at the whole undifferentiated whole, something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great way to see it. So the right hemisphere is what we use, and it's responsible for the, the gestalt, which is seeing things holistically. Yes. And it doesn't see differentiating categories or boundaries. The right hemisphere sees the relation to things. The left hemisphere sees yes. the boundaries and set or separations. So both d- both are important. You know, yeah,
0: uh, continuous versus discrete is another way to think about it. Um, yeah. And also, this ties in later to the technology aspect. Actually, analog and digital. Analog is continuous. Digital is discrete. Um, and we can go yeah. more into that later. But um, these things, these fundamental. Aspects kind of show themselves across different domains.
1: Yeah, and there's a great book which we'll we'll reference as we go through by Ian McGillchrist called The Master and His Emissary, mm-hmm. um, and he his argument is, and this is I think very important in relation to Aristotle, is that Western civilization, its overall trajectory has been defined by the fact that we have a left hemispheric dominance within us within our yes. our, our cognitive um, framework. Because that is what Aristotle gave us. Our, our let's say our off kilter move towards rationalism yes. is effectively because of the weighting that Aristotle gave to the lexicon that we use and that we've we've progressed with since for two and a half thousand years. So Aristotle and this left hemispheric civilizational trajectory are interconnected.
0: Yeah, we're we're overweighted to the reductionist side of the mind so the empirical side of the mind uh, yeah. because we perceive object as more fundamental than subject when in reality they're they're two si- two sides of the same coin so to speak
1: um, yeah 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 and, and and McGillchrist even goes on to say that that if there is a an asymmetry of importance that's the other way it's actually the other way which yeah. is that the right hemisphere is is um, our sensory data is first processed and goes through the right hemisphere, uh-huh. where it then passes through the corpus callosum and is sent to the left hemisphere to effectively be consolidated and organized. Right. And then the left hemisphere then spits that, that consolidated data back to the right hemisphere for it to review. Mm-hmm. So the right hemisphere in, in the, the, the title of the book is the master, or should be the master, and the left hemisphere should be the emissary, which is effectively mm-hmm. like an assistant. But what's actually happened now is that the right hemisphere in our age of empiricism and Mm -hmm. rationality has been has been degraded and kicked to the curb as if it's some sort of a dysfunctional superstitious, uh, you know, hippy dippy.
0: It's inverted. Yes, it's inverted. And I would, again, just to point to where this ties into economic or socioeconomic systems, I think this is a contributor to treating people as means rather than ends, as we see in state behavior, right, we start to objectify, actually, dynamic processes, which are humans, rather than treating them as ends in themselves, a reciprocal relationship.
1: Effectively, the the statism or the totalitarian states that we've experienced in the 20th century, are phenomenon, the phenomenon of the left hemisphere writ large, Mm -hmm. which is the left hemisphere, which speaking to what you just said, it categorizes people as things, static objects, assets yes. to be manipulated, to be right. controlled, to be handled like um, data on, on, a, on a profit and loss sheet. Mm-hmm. So the left hemisphere, uh, it traffics in control, in dominance, in hierarchies, manipulation, accumulation. Uh, it, it works in demands, in binary demands. It doesn't work in nuance. Um, and it, it's responsible for the idea of com- commoditizing things because yes. it, it, want, it sees everything as a tool or an object for manipulation. Mm-hmm. And once it, it, it doesn't, no longer has the, uh, if the left and the right hemisphere are like the sail and the keel on a boat, if the right hemisphere um, effectively is responsible for trying to keep everything balanced, you take that keel away, then the, the wind of the left hemisphere is gonna capsize the mm-hmm. whole society, which is what we see with totalitarian states. Yes. So this statism that we see, this bureaucratic uh, overreach, is a manifestation of the left hemisphere's um, excess in the 20th century. A, a, a quote that he, uh, he lays up in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is a precursor to Leela, he talks about effectively what we're talking about with glasses, but he uses the context of, of uh, the, the system as a whole that we use. Mm. And he says to tear down a factory or to revolt against the government or to avoid repair of a motorcycle because it is a system is to attack effects rather than causes. And as long as the attack is upon effects only, no change is possible. The true system, the real system is our present construction of systematic thought itself, rationality itself. And if a factory is torn down, but the rationality which produced it is left standing then that rationality will simply produce another factory.
0: Again, pointing towards the importance of systematic change in our psycho-technological architecture. If I could invoke a modern analogy, it's we are self-engineering our own mental software in a way. We're really looking at the source code that we have inherited from ancient Greek philosophy and uh, applying this perhaps patch that Persig has has given us.
1: Yeah, yeah, a software update.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. which again, you know, the enlightenment, the reformation, all of these things were just effectively human psychotechnological or software updates. So I think as we get deeper into Persig's work, you'll see just how
1: profound uh, his findings really are. Yeah, and at the same time that Bitcoin offers a tool to harmonize and unify the global economy, we're also going to need a metaphysics which harmonizes and unifies the West and the East and and removes all of these biases that have been so destructive over the last especially the last well, the 20th century especially, you know. With the the mindset of empiricists, we're going to work our way down the chain
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the way to the base. And yeah. that's where the totality of this concept will make sense is only when you've got the whole thing framed yes. by piece by piece, disentangling all of the, the things that we've been given that, you know, it's like effectively what Aristotle did was was create a chain of events through history, which culminated in the equivalent of like pulling, you know, a, a cable of headphones out of your pocket and, mm-hmm. and you've got to take the time to like, oh God, you know, like yeah. it's all tangled up. And then once it's, once it's untangled, you go, oh yes, yeah, it's, it's all one string, you know? Yeah. We're going to start talking about a metaphysics where everything is patterns. So in Piercing's world, there isn't all these different, say, categories of, you know, mind, matter, substance, everything is patterns. And the way that the patterns manifest, we give titles to that yes. everything is effectively patterns, yes. which is which speaks to the truth of what we see empirically yeah. with with the move into quantum mechanics.
0: Which That's is right. Different. And this is consistent with Peterson's view, too, that it's yeah.
1: all interacting patterns. What piercing says is that the value is primary and value can be seen in two uh, categories with the first being a non-category, which is dynamic quality itself, mm-hmm. which would be synonymous with the Tao. And it's the idea of the limitless, the infinite, the ineffable. It's, it's effectively what we try to represent with our language when it comes to God and yes. Allah. I love
0: right. uh, pierce's description of it as the pre-intellectual cutting edge of reality. So this is action itself. Like what is, it's something that the moment you try to describe it, you're reducing it and it's no longer what it is.
1: Can only be experienced through pure awareness. Mm -hmm. It cannot be captured. It cannot be commoditized and it cannot be um, contained. And then our second uh, tier is what we call static quality. So this idea of dynamic and static, this is our primary duality, and it relates to the duality of of the yin and the yang, which is that we have the kingdom of heaven and we have earth, earth being a a mythologized expression of the realm of the limited, Mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven being an expression of the realm of the limitless, and we as the, the sons of God are the birth givers of the exchange, the mediators between these realms. Piersig says... Static patterns of value are divided into four systems, inorganic patterns, biological patterns, social patterns, and intellectual patterns. They are exhaustive. That's all there are. If you construct an encyclopedia of four topics, inorganics, biological, social, and intellectual, nothing is left out. No thing that is. Only dynamic quality, which cannot be described in any encyclopedia is absent. Mm. But although the four systems are exhaustive, they are not exclusive. They all operate at the same time and in ways that are almost independent of each other. This classification of patterns is not very original, but the metaphysics of quality allows an assertion about them that is unusual. It says they are not continuous. They are discrete. They have very little to do with one another. Although each higher level is built on a lower one, it is not an extension of that lower level. Mm. Quite the contrary the higher level can often be seen to be in opposition to the lower level, Mm. dominating it, controlling it where possible for its own purposes.
0: So here we see different patterns of action at social, intellectual, inorganic, biological levels, but they're all aimed at value. Value is somehow this composite, again, we're getting into the domain of God here, right? Like freedom, love, truth, Um, somehow those timeless categories are amalgamated in this concept of God or exchange.
1: Yeah, static patterns are the planets orbiting the sun of value. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, like they're all held by the central gravitational force of something that if they were to meet that force, they would be obliterated. So yes. they, they can only ever relate to it, but they it's can a never dance. merge. They can never merge it to dance yeah it's a transjective dance so um and ultimately what what piercing is saying with value is that the the dynamics of this whole system isn't down to the objects that we appear to that, that we create with our categorization mm-hmm. those objects are the emergent property of the value scenarios in which they are exchanging mm-hmm. so to go to that idea of it's a dance, uh, you literally cannot have the category that we would call dancer until after the action yes. of the dance has taken and, place, and the dance floor and the dance floor, and then go into what yes. you said earlier: the sub, the the agent and the arena. Yes, uh, don't exist until the value of the uh, dance has actually manifested and that's a transjective yes not subjective not objective it's a yes. transjective immediate action that retroactively we can then create intellectual categories for yes. such as subject and object yes but the moment of reality was the action itself yes the value of the act created yes. the categories that we later call a and b
0: yes 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 and so this is such a key point that identity itself does not exist prior to action like the dancer is not a dancer until they are dancing nor is the dance floor dance floor until it is being danced upon it is the action that is generative to agent and arena and just and so this is where we're actually you're you've done a great job here of showing the blunt object of subject and object contained within these layers but it is actually the relationship that is fundamental, right? That is yeah. this, this term we're using transjective, um, something transcendent of, or generative to subject and object, touching on this fundamental substrate of relationship that takes primacy above reductionalism, right? We think there are things that are related, but the, the inversion here is that there are relations that give rise to things,
1: yes. Yeah, and the relations, all relations are exchanges yes because it's the exchange of of energy it's the exchange of ideas It's the exchange of emotion it's the exchange of force all of it is exchange which is why good or god in sanskrit means exchange to exchange to barter Mm -hmm. and sun being birth giver conscious beings are the mediating membrane between the kingdom of heaven which cannot be attained and Earth, which is where we instantiate what we experience in our awareness of the sublime. And as we'll see, the conscious actors that are present in this realm that we call Earth isn't just human, Mm -hmm. or maybe, if we're feeling generous, some advanced animals. Everything in the environment is an active participant. The, The atoms, the cells, the organisms, everything is a a tier of Mm -hmm. conscious um, awareness that has maintained a stable stability in itself over time. So we've got these these four categories, so inorganic and biological and social and intellectual. Just keep in mind that when we use the word object, what we are actually doing is inappropriately summarizing with the, the glasses of Aristotle, biological and inorganic, inorganic patterns of value. So we are assigning a mechanistic, non-conscious attribute to the behaviors and qualities of inorganic patterns of value, which would be mass, uh, physical entities, um, things, uh, the, the world that operates before we can assign any sense of it having conscious um, autonomy And biological, which is that we look at our body and we say that this is a causal deterministic piece of meat, doesn't have any, uh, any autonomy in terms of conscious um, value preference. It's just, it's just a mechanism.
0: Yeah. so, So physics and Darwinism, perhaps kind of in this objective domain of inorganic
1: and biological. And then. Up above social and intellectual is the sub- subjective realm where we've got mm-hmm. the idea of the mind, which is uh, you know, social patterns of emotions, rituals, social culture, um, mythology, religion, morality, which is, as we'll find out, morality isn't inside of the social category. Mm-hmm. The social category and every other category is inside of the category of morality, which mm-hmm. we'll get to.
0: The other thing, I think this is so important to you that we're now, integrating subject object with the metaphysics of quality in that subject object was just a lower resolution picture or a more blunt instrument than the um, further, the higher resolution
1: metaphysics of quality. It's gonna quote here in summary to, the, to the, how this category system includes subject object. He says, a conventional subject-object metaphysics uses the same four static patterns as the metaphysics as quality. Divide them into two groups of inorganic biological patterns called matter and social-intellectual patterns called mind. But this division is the source of the problem. When a subject-object metaphysics regards matter and mind as eternally separate and eternally unlike, it creates a platypus bigger than the entire solar system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Platypus being a, a, a creature that it doesn't conform to the previously. Uh, set up boundaries or category system that that people expected.
0: Yeah, disrupts our categorical taxonomies and forces us to adapt
1: our static frame to a new dynamic reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it has to make this fatal division because it gives top position in its structure to subjects and objects. Everything has got to be object or subject, substance or non-substance, because that's the primary division of the universe. Inorganic biological patterns are composed of substance and are therefore objective. Social intellectual patterns are not composed of substance and are therefore called subjective. Then, having made this arbitrary division based on substance, conventional metaphysics then asks, what is the relationship between mind and matter, between subject and object? One answer is to fudge both mind and matter and the whole question that goes with with it into another platypus called man. Man has a body. And therefore is not himself a body and he also has a mind and therefore is not himself a mind but if one asks what is this man which is not a body and not a mind one doesn't come up with anything there isn't any man independent of the patterns man is the patterns we've shown that in a circle there to show the quaternity but it doesn't that mapping of showing it does help to show the subject object overlay Mm-hmm. But what it doesn't do is, is show the hierarchical trajectory. So if we move it into a hierarchy and, and see it as a, as a pyramid, uh, we've got this idea of dynamic quality being the moment of the, the pre-intellectual cutting edge of reality, which is the moment of awareness
0: yeah.
1: that, that meditation experts strive towards, or thrill seekers strive towards, yeah. or bungee jumpers strive towards. The
0: flow state.
1: The flow state. Yes. And the flow state, is a word that we use to describe quite often like intellectual activities, but the flow state right. is, is embodied. It's, it's biological, it can yes. be social. You can be in a flow state in a, in a, in a exercise, which is biological. Yes. You could be in a flow state in a social setting.
0: It's a state that not only causes time, the experience of time to pass most rapidly, but it's also the state that causes the most happiness. It's one of the highest aims in the human condition is to achieve flow state most readily. And Peterson also argues that it's the point of maximal information throughput. When you're in a flow state, you're actually, um, you know, whether you're a surfer on a wave or a writer in a book, your your um, information throughput is maximized. And I would just like to point out here, too, that you're, the symbology of the pyramid and the eye very clearly very closely related to the eye of Horus, which is important in Egyptian mythology that Peterson talks about a lot, that awareness is like the ultimate value across the ultimate hierarchical value across all hierarchies of value. And and I guess awareness is an act itself. That's actually generative to um, um, all of this. And so that, that explains why the eye of Horus awareness was the highest value in the hierarchy of values, which is one definition Peterson's given God, right? Whatever the highest value is in the hierarchy of values is God. Well, in the e- Egyptian mythology, that was awareness or consciousness. That's why, you know, in Mesopotamian myth, Marduk had eyes all around his head. So there's something very fundamental here that, and, and quantum physics speaks to this as well. There's no, there's no disintegration between observer and observed. The actual, the is giving rise to reality through observation.
1: Yeah, and it speaks to that idea of um, somebody who's aware is vigilant and the idea of vigilant being like a vigilante is somebody that, that is disobedient to static and mm-hmm. uh, open to the possibilities. They're vigilant yes. to something. They take the law into their own hands. They're, yes. they're, they're, they're looking for uh, action. You know, yes. it's interesting that the language reflects that.
0: Yeah, there, and then he gets into this later where he makes the point that one of the difficulties that the social layer is determining whether someone is a savior or a fool, but I think he uses different terms there, but someone that's bringing new ideas into the culture.
1: What's the word? A somebody who's idiosyncratic an iconoclast. Yes. So iconoclastic behavior, Mm -hmm. iconoclastic action Mm
0: -hmm.
1: will ultimately go down as being either moral or immoral in relation Mm -hmm. to the culture that is experiencing that iconoclast. And if, if, if they, are successful in in providing new dynamic quality to the culture, mm-hmm. then then they will be instantiated or ordained in the culture's static patterns and rituals.
0: And it's something you almost don't know until there's retrospect. So the, the, the difficulty is figuring out, is this person crazy or are they adding, they're telling us new things that we need to incorporate into the socioeconomic fabric.
1: Yeah, yeah, at the time where they're operating, uh, they're on the cutting edge, right? Like yes. Even the, even the language we use is like "a guy's on the edge." You know, yes. Which the edge of the overton the edge, window? What's the overton window?
0: There are things that are unthinkable at either end of the Over- overton window. But one is to, one end. One pole is towards more freedom. One pole is towards less freedom. And then in the middle is is where you know conventional wisdom is. So you know, like we could say today, perhaps. Total global authoritarianism is kind of in that less freedom unthinkable territory, whereas total global anarchy is kind of in the more freedom unthinkable. And we try to have, you know, public policy somewhere in the middle. Um, but the Overton window is constantly moving.
1: It's interesting. It goes back to the idea of the, the middle way between um, liberal and conservative, you know, conservative being to yes. conserve the patterns of value, liberal being to liberate. Uh, patterns yes. of value.
0: Um, and this is the dynamic, again, the, the, the hierarchy needs both rigidity and fluidity, right? It needs to have structure, which gets to back to static and dynamic.
1: So if we, if we now shift this and start to think about the process of evolution from the, the meta framework of the narrative we call the Big Bang, the playground for consciousness opens up. We see the, a set of, of stable patterns begin to consolidate we call inorganic so this would be the the physical activities in the universe start to to emerge Uh, we start to see the manifestation of gravity and mass attracting itself to itself we start to see what we would describe as being the laws of physics at the subatomic level behavior of the the atoms which seemingly doesn't follow any laws isn't because it's random it's actually because it's making preferences at all times the atoms themselves make preferences that we don't have the ability to rationalize or understand in the same way that a dog can't rationalize or understand our behavior when we read a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't doesn't know why we're staring at the book. It can't comprehend the marketplace in which we are operating. We're operating in a different marketplace to the atoms, to the mass. But to use a, like an example of this attract law of attraction that we call law of attraction being a value preference, mm-hmm. let's say in traditional subject object if we take a hypothetical situation where we've got two pool balls on a, on a table and then we have the ability godlike powers to suddenly make everything in that environment with the exception of the balls to disappear the planet the, the table the room everything so suddenly these balls mm-hmm. find themselves in a void mm-hmm. with nothing around them for light years over the course of a, a relatively short amount of time those two pool balls would slowly accelerate towards Mm -hmm. each other until they were touching and they would Mm -hmm. hold in that position. And then that begs the question, what caused Mm -hmm. that to happen? And it was the value between them that attracted them together. That like gravity isn't a causal force. It's a, it's an emergent property of these two, a preference of mass for itself, a preference of mass for itself.
0: Yeah. And what what were the way we're using this Newtonian clockwork, view of the universe where everything is atomized, there's tiny billiard ball particles. This itself, by the way, is just a blunt instrument description of reality that quantum physics totally debunks, but it's useful here. And that Persig's basically making the point that it's not a deterministic law. Gravity is not something that's, that we view it as deterministic because we see it from you know a mile high, so to speak, but it's actually mass expressing value or preference for itself that drives um, this exchange frankly and you know we can root that in that you know gravity <laughs> we'll see this to the other layers but gravity is something that's so fundamental to our understanding of reality right it's like it's it's the actually we have not yet reconciled gravity with quantum mechanics that's kind of the big uh, outstanding debate in physics but it's this, idea of preference driving exchange, driving change, that's really fundamental to this metaphysics of, of value versus something that's just subject, object, deterministic, clockwork universe.
1: If we, put, if we put that in the context of economics, we've just described a two binary states. In the first situation on the table, the balls valued the table more than each other. Mm -hmm. But in the absence of any surrounding market options, Mm -hmm. the bulls valued each other.
0: Right, that's right.
1: So what we're actually seeing, what we actually toggled there, the variable that we changed is the market options available to the bulls.
0: The other point here that I'd just like to insert for an understanding of Austrian economics is they distinguish between action, which is purposeful and behavior, which is reflexive. So anytime you, you know, go to the store to buy something, you have a purpose, right? You have something in mind, you're, you're expressing a value versus if the doctor taps your knee with a little hammer and your leg kicks out, this is just a behavior. And through subject object metaphysics, we have assigned deterministic behavior to the biological and inorganic patterns, whereas we have assigned purpose-driven action to the biological and social layers. Persig's making the argument, I think, that purpose actually uh, permeates all the way down, right? There is actually no behavior. It's all action all the way down to the inorganic layer.
1: Yep. Yep. It's all action. It's all a marketplace. It's all expressions of preferences. Yes. The only thing that stops us from seeing that is the, let's say the human hubris Mm -hmm. of relegating everything that's not in human form down to something which has no conscious autonomy. Yes, it's, a, it's a bit arrogant of everything. us to
0: assume that only we can have purpose. And Persig's saying that, no, it's universal.
1: Yeah. And what we call the laws is the emergent property of a massive consensus model yes. of individual actors, which are waveforms, or, or would be best described as waveforms because they're continuous, because yeah. even saying actors is, is left hemispheric categorization. What we're actually seeing is fields of action. Yes. And the fields of action, which are stable enough, uh, are stable enough, long enough for us to identify and categorize them, Yes. and therefore create out of that stable field of value, a isolated object that we can give a title to.
0: Yes, to usefully categorize them based on the stability of interactions, absolutely. And just one last thing is this all squares or reconciles with quantum physics right? Quantum physics tells us this exact thing. It's all field. There are no particles. There are no billiard balls. Even though we're using this map, it's all field interactions. It's all patterns on top of patterns.
1: Yeah. But we see balls because of the glasses that we're wearing. Yes. Our pers- perspectival yeah. our pers- perspectival uh, psychotechnologies. It's a
0: useful fiction, which we see percolate up throughout human interaction, this idea of useful fictions.
1: Yeah. And, and actually, that's a really interesting thing to add to um. The discussion between peterson and, and uh and harris is that harris is that while he's accusing Peer, uh, peterson of respecting fictions in, in morality and religion as being superstition he's seemingly unaware of the fact that his description of physics and his description of the universe at the objective <laughs> level is a useful fiction so he's yes. he's actually you know What's that word? People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- there you go. The objectivity itself is a useful fiction. Harris fails to realize that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So from the inorganic patterns of value, once they become stable enough, once there's a stability, we have, and to use the parlance of, of what we spoke about in episode one, we have a phase transition, mm-hmm. which is that the inorganic stable patterns of value create the conditions that are required for an evolutionary step up into a new, for us, new category of of market participant.
0: They bear fruit, something like
1: that. They bear fruit. And from the soil of of the inorganic patterns of value, there is a stable enough set of conditions for dynamic quality to to phase shift and invoke a new set of characteristics in the marketplace of reality, which is that we move towards biological patterns of value, and this is where we, we have words to describe all these things, cells, organisms, viruses, yeah. bacteria. Um, suddenly, we get the, the, the basic building blocks of biological life, uh, which is effectively the coalescence of patterns of value at the inorganic level turning into seemingly more conscious, autonomous um, organisms. The biological entities start to realize that they have more potential as a collective Mm-hmm. For higher levels of dynamic freedom, if they actively move towards interdependence, interdependence, yes. market dynamics, yes, it's not like suddenly consciousness turned on, it's morphic. consciousness was there the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is this is the division of labor, by the way, right? Like, they can yeah. create more freedom individually by working together some symbiotic relationship emerges and it outcompetes all other relationships, social emerges, yep.
1: So the biological patterns of value find themselves operating within social patterns of value for mutual pursuit of freedom, resources for child rearing, for feeding, and then over time, like Peterson talks about with the, the wolves in the wolf pack, they have these these, these rituals which are uh, a priori, like they, the, uh-huh. the wolves don't discuss the hierarchy of the pack. Uh-huh. They enact it, they act it out. Uh-huh. And then it is across the course of this social evolution where the social patterns of value stabilize uh-huh. to such a sufficient degree that we suddenly have in excess all this freedom for further play and further exploration and further discovery of dynamic quality that on top of that stable pattern of values that we call society or culture or civilization, mm-hmm. the emergence of a new phase transition takes place. And in each of these phase transitions, it's worth keeping in mind that they all have different experiential recurrences, uh, different emotional experiential realities that, that these fields of, of stable patterns mm-hmm. create for the conscious being right. at the social level it would be the serotonin or the oxytocin of, of, of reciprocal relations with another biological um, organism. Yes. And then at, then at the intellectual level, you traffic in, in the satisfaction of, of elegant ideas. Yes. So each of these tiers has different currencies of truth.
0: Yes. And there's prohibitions placed by higher layers on lower layers, All right? That's a key point too. And that the social layer involves biological prohibitions, right? We wear clothes, we don't, you know, there's a dating ritual. And then even the intellectual level, we organize our societies around these higher ideas, you know, freedom, truth, virtue,
1: etc. One of the things that people, that, that is often talked about in the idea of the theory of evolution is what's the teleological goal? Mm-hmm. Uh, as in like, what, what exactly are we moving towards? Mm-hmm. What Peirceg says is that it's actually, that's the wrong question. Uh, what people haven't asked is, what are we moving away from? And what mm-hmm. we're actually moving away from is the static patterns of value that came before us, mm-hmm. which not only set up the conditions for our life, but also sets up the constraints for future life. Yes. So in some sense, the lower levels, the lower patterns of static value are like parents, which yes. is that they first bring you into the world, but at some point you have to disobey them to create your own world. Yes. And that's effectively what's happening in, in the chain of life. Yes, we are reliant upon inorganic patterns of value for the stability of the world, but that doesn't mean that we want them to constrain our freedom.
0: Yeah. So the, con- the constraints that entrain us for future freedom.
1: Yes. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. let's say that they are a part of the 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 difficulty adjustment process. which Yeah. Is the, exactly. They set up the preconditions for us to uh, pursue uh, higher levels of freedom, and that higher level of freedom is a moral enterprise it's all a moral enterprise this entire chain that we're describing is the moral marketplace everything is conscious everything is making value preferences at its level of comprehension in the field of, of, of value and the ultimate let's say goal is the is the highest levels of of patterns of value that that allow us freedom from the lower levels yes and that's where good and evil emerges from
0: or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider NIDIG your single source solution for everything Bitcoin.
1: It seems clear that no mechanistic pattern exists towards which life is heading, but has the question been taken up of whether life is heading away from mechanistic patterns? The law of gravity, for example, is perhaps the most ruthlessly static pattern of order in the universe. So. Correspondingly, there is no single living thing that does not thumb its nose at that law day in and day out. One could almost define life as the organized disobedience of the law of gravity. One could show that the degree to which an organism disobeys this law is a measure of its degree of evolution. Thus, while the simple protozoa just barely get around on their cilia, earthworms manage to control their distance and direction, birds fly into the sky, and man goes all the way to the moon. Amazing. Consciousness is moving towards like a dimly apprehended, the moments, the flashes where where something is invoked, like a revelation, or an idea, or an innovation, or an impulse, or a reflex. Those are all expressions of dynamic quality.
0: Human life is driven forward by its dim apprehension of notions too general for its existing language. That's the Whitehead quote.
1: And that would be dynamic quality.
0: Yes, so it, yeah, too general for the existing language means we like haven't, it hasn't been captured and reduced and encapsulated yet, right? It's, we're, it's drawn forward by this ineffable, right? Unspeakable, indescribable apprehension that's pre-intellectual, once again.
1: Peirce says, not subject and object, but static and dynamic is the basic division of reality. When Alfred North Whitehead wrote, that mankind is driven forward by dim apprehensions of things too obscure for its existing language, he was writing about dynamic quality. Dynamic quality is the pre-intellectual cutting edge of reality, the source of all things, completely simple and always new. It contains no pattern of fixed rewards and punishments. It's only perceived good is freedom and it's only perceived evil is static quality itself any pattern of one sided, fixed values that tries to contain and kill the ongoing free force of life.
0: I just want to point out here that the terms value and quality, we use these almost interchangeably throughout the series. So when we're talking about metaphysics Mm -hmm. of quality, I think you could almost equally say metaphysics of value. Um, But, you know, again, in the Austrian tradition, they define essentially value as that toward which all action is aimed. And then Persik has this great quote on quality that I think you could uh, read for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So quality is just the focal point around which a lot of intellectual furniture is getting rearranged. It's <laughs> just so good.
0: So, you know, there's some, again, pre-intellectual animating force or impetus underlying everything, and then we intellectualize it after the fact.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and one of one other feature, which I think is worth mentioning, just because, you know, we use the example of you, you, you cross the room, because it's more valuable to cross the room than not. Um, At any given point, you as a conscious being are a kingdom of competing value systems, Mm -hmm. because you are comprised of all of the evolutionary impulses, which piercing would call static patterns of value,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're at the cutting edge as the sum total of all these underlying patterns that that re- that, that have been continuing their own existence uh, by surviving the evolutionary um, process, and you are you are merely the conscious deliberator that's acting upon all of those impulses that make you up.
0: Absolutely, yeah. The what calls to mind here is that as human beings, we're mediating these multiple layers, right? We are, in kind of, a money monetary reference, a medium of exchange between these different layers. Uh, you could say that consciousness itself is the universe engaged in self-reflection of some kind, because you are yeah. constituted of all these layers: the inorganic, the biological, the social, the intellectual.
1: So Heisig says that. Um, With regards to the idea of, of everyone knows what quality is, quality is, is, is a lived experience in the moment that it happens before you have titles for it. And he says, any person of any philosophic persuasion who sits on a hot stove will verify without any intellectual argument whatsoever that he is in an undeniably low quality situation, that the value of his predicament is negative. This low quality is not just a vague, woolly-headed, crypto-religious, metaphysical abstraction. It is an experience. It is not a judgment about an experience. It is not a description of experience. The value itself is an experience. Mm -hmm. As such, it is completely predictable. It is verifiable by anyone who cares to do so. It is reproducible. Of all experience, it is the least ambiguous, least mistakeable there is. Later, the person may generate some oaths to describe this low value, but the value will always come first. The oaths second. Without the primary low valuation, the secondary oaths will not follow. Amazing. This echoes uh, what Peterson talks about, about that ultimately the one thing you can't deny is pain.
0: Mm, Yes, the inarguable basis of reality.
1: And what he's, what he's effectively paraphrasing there is saying the inarguable reality, the empirically reproducible and non, you can't debate it, mm-hmm. is, is when you're in agony, that's when you are touching value in its purest form. Yes. And you can't get around it. You can't avoid it. You can't, like pain is, is, the, is the bedrock of reality. Yes. Yes. And pain is, pain is extreme value.
0: This gets into a Talebian tele- point that pain is information. formation actually it is the thing that catalyzes patterns life organizations to reconfigure themselves and put themselves in a new formation right to adapt yeah. to reality pain yeah. is signaling to the organism or to the market right the, the same thing to adapt basically yeah. Um, yeah. and it and it and it is very deeply biological too i watched this video where it showed how a virus will invade a cellular colony. And so the virus lands on the cell, it's injecting its DNA into the cell, destroys the cell, rips it apart, um, and basically, basically co-ops the cellular DNA to reproduce the virus, right? When the cell explodes, it explodes into a lot more viruses and the cycle repeats. But the some of the cells survive and those cells that survive actually incorporate just pieces of that DNA from the virus into their own DNA, so it's actually changing the formation of the genetic pattern of the cell, and then that cell becomes resistant to the virus. It's adapted to the virus.
1: That's so, oh, that's this, wild. So, this
0: repatternization through pain is the common denominator across you know consciousness, uh, market adaptation, innovation, evolution, all of these things.
1: Uh, that idea of the 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 cells effectively consuming and integrating the shadow, as it were. It's integrating mm-hmm. the dark mm-hmm. side That's of right. of life. It's it's interesting that um you know, coming from film, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Breaking Bad.
0: Oh yeah, I love that show.
1: Yeah. yeah, so what's great about Breaking Bad, the, the guy that writes it, he's he's a genius. But um one of the unconscious themes that goes through the 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 story is that Every time Heisenberg kills somebody, um, his habits change. He actually mm. starts to absorb their tendencies. With everyone he kills, he consumes their their mm. their traits, which leads to this idea of um, you you effectively consume the antagonistic forces against you, right? Like yes, you uh, you, you 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 do eat the, eat the shadow, as it were. Yes, you know, yeah,
0: yeah. You're engaged in mimetic exchange with whatever you are resistant to. Yeah. Mimetic
1: exchange. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I'll continue the, the, yeah. the, the quote. So the last thing he said was without the primary low valuation, the secondary oaths will not follow. The reason for hammering on this so hard is that we have a culturally inherited blind spot here. Our culture teaches us to think it is the hot stove that directly causes the oaths. Mm-hmm. Not so. The value is between the stove and the oaths. Between the subject and the object lies the value. This value is more immediate, more directly sensed than any self or any object to which it might be later assigned. It is more real than the stove. Whether the stove is the cause of the low quality or whether possibly something else is the cause is not yet absolutely certain, but that that the quality is low is absolutely certain. It is the primary empirical reality from which such things as stoves and heat and oaths and self are later intellectually constructed. So that idea, the value is between the stove and the oaths. It's what comes first. And then only afterwards do we construct mental models that go, that's the subject or I'm the subject, that's the object. And that object contains pain. It doesn't contain pain. It's the relationship. Yes, that is the pain that creates both uh, entities. Back to like the primacy
0: of action, value, relationship. And I would say too, that there's, this is where transjectivity comes in, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of subject object being reality, it is the the transjective relationship between the two that is most fundamental. And it just is a a couple of examples of of this. Like I, I talked with Verveke, he gives the example of adaptation or ad- adaptivity. Is it subjective or is it objective? Well, it's not purely based on the subjective interpretation of the organism. Like there are some real environmental factors driving adaptation, but it's not purely objective either, because the organism is playing a role in you know what it where it selects to go and um, what it what situations it exposes itself to. So adaptation. Is transjective, right? It's it's yeah. It's process. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You could also yeah. insert yeah. learning here, right? Learning is this.
1: It's a form of adaptation itself. Um, and and all adaptation is by definition dynamic, which we'll go on to. It's a yes. It's a, a dynamic process adaptation.
0: And, yeah, yeah, and I think the pragmatic truths shake out here as well. You have price, mm-hmm. right? Which is not objective or subjective. It's the confluence of subjective demand and objective supply. You get a price, right? Or the tool, the tool is a mechanism for improving fitness to the environment. So it helps us adapt, right? Yeah. Uh, And then virtue, right? Virtue is what we use to adapt to one another. And it emerges Mm. from the rules of the game that we are playing, right? To an ancient caveman that was a really competent hunter that was considered to be a moral quality. Right, based on the rules of their reality, and that's that's not the case today. To be moral today is uh, more like the Judeo-Christian values, for instance. Mm.
1: Yeah, the, the the moral the moral aspect of this gets really exciting as we break down the system. of yeah. That there's morality in every every action. From you know, there's there's a morality to 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 sexual intercourse there's a morality to trade there's a morality to ideas there's a morality to gravity like everything mm-hmm. is a moral enterprise uh, mm-hmm. under yeah depending on it on its on on the means by which it's, it's kind of enacted as it were yes yes
0: um i, I would add here too i think there's a, a an element of intuition that w- if you've had a certain level reached a certain level of experience in life like the older you get i think you put more value and emphasis on family friend relationships you know um you come to see that relationships are more important than things mm. and i think this itself is a intuitive human understanding that r- relationship is primary yeah right like as we mature we come to realize that more whereas if you're young you may be much more maybe this has to do with the metaphysical lens we're wearing, but you tend to be much more uh, in pursuit of objects, let's say.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that in the subject object world that we live in with, with such a heavy dependency on objective things. Um, and even the way that the state has been operating under, under COVID, it, everything about it is about destroying relationships, mm-hmm. you know, not exactly. to trust your family members, not to trust anyone, but the state, um divide and conquer so that yeah the relationships have definitely seemed to be the target you know dynamic relationships replaced with with static uh you know things yes um mm. okay i'm gonna gonna keep going so and just finish up this quote once this primary relationship is cleared up an awful lot of mysteries get solved the reason values seem so woolly headed to empiricists is that empiricists keep trying to assign them to subjects or objects. You can't do it. You get all mixed up because values don't belong to either group. Uh, They are a separate category all to their own. What the metaphysics of quality would do is take this separate category quality and show how it contains within itself both subjects and objects. The metaphysics of quality would show how the things become enormously more coherent, fabulously more coherent when you start with an assumption that quality is the primary empirical reality of the world yeah. um, so i'm going to steam straight in to how this new principle that the that, that is is working upon which is that value is primary it on the surface it, it starts to appear that that means that it's in there's a contention between uh let's say scientific empiricism and and the woolly headed value driven Mm -hmm. metaphysics that piercing is describing. And it's actually the opposite because as piercing will describe here, this is actually, um, what would be the right word? This is a judo move against empiricists in some sense, because Mm -hmm. what piercing goes on to say here in the next quote is that value is actually the most important component of empiricism that empiricists haven't recognized. When it is seen that value is the front edge of experience, there is no problem for empiricists here. It simply restates the empiricist's belief that experience is the starting point of all reality. The only problem is for a subject-object metaphysics that calls itself empiricism. This may sound as though the purpose of the metaphysics of quality is to trash all subject-object thought, but that's not true. Unlike subject-object metaphysics, The metaphysics of quality does not insist on a single exclusive truth. If subjects and objects are held to be the ultimate reality, then we're permitted only one construction of things, that which corresponds to the objective worlds and all other constructions are unreal. But if quality or excellence, and we'll explain that, we'll go into that in depth uh, later, is seen as the ultimate reality, then it becomes possible for more than one set of truths to exist. Then one doesn't seek the absolute quote unquote truth. One seeks instead the highest quality intellectual explanation of things with the knowledge that if the past is any guide to the future, this explanation must be taken provisionally as useful until something better comes along. One can then examine intellectual realities the same way he examines a painting in an art gallery, not with an effort to find out which one is the real quote unquote painting, but simply to enjoy and keep those that are of value. There are many sets of intellectual reality in existence, and we can perceive some to have more quality than others, but that we do so is in part the result of our history and the current patterns of value." Mm -hmm. So we're gonna talk at length about the significance of the concept of excellence uh, as we delve into the metaphysics of quality. Um, but for PSIG, value, quality, and excellence are kind of interchangeable in some sense. Um, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about that you know, as we go in. We'll, we'll expand upon it. But effectively, the idea is that, um, as he says, uh, said earlier, the scientific method cannot be used. It, it will produce a, a, an ever-receding horizon when it comes to the pursuit of quote-unquote truth. Mm-hmm. So the only means that you have to uh, measure or to um evaluate an idea or or anything is to value it based upon how excellent it is in the purpose that it serves so for example Mm -hmm. the general theory of relativity is not a true theory it's an excellent theory right and there is a difference it has a value to it but it is not an eternal capital t truth
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and once you accept that the scientific method, by definition, cannot be the gatekeeper of truth, it is it, not possible in its nature. Once you drop that whole impossible paradox, then you start to move towards, well, what explains, uh, what, what, what is a, a, an explanatory um, instrument that gives mm-hmm. us the most value? And then you yes. start to say, well, this is an excellent theory. Instead of saying this is the absolute true theory, you yes. say this is a is a theory of excellent value. And then suddenly you, you jump out of the world of black and white uh, objectivity, which is yes. where people are searching for an eternal truth when it's not possible. It literally yes. isn't possible. And, and that it's such a head like a, a, a head fuck. But the scientific method itself cannot allow, cannot find the, the absolute truth. It it's right. impossible. So with that in mind, you have to start changing the way you see the world, you know? Yes.
0: Yes. And I, there's the deep quote by McKenna that all language is a lie, right? We're using useful fictions to point towards truth. Um, and maybe perhaps this is maybe a speculation, but we see fractal geometry throughout nature. So I think truth perhaps as well is fractal, right? Maybe, Maybe there is a capital T ineffable truth, singular God that we cannot identify with language or logic or symbol, but it becomes reflected in reality as these pragmatic truths that must be continually discovered. Like you said, like an excellent theory or an excellent tool, um, or, you know, and it's, and these are typically, these are there's a relationship here to resolution as well, right? we like Newtonian physics m- still makes sense. It's still a useful theory, but it's a lower resolution than Einsteinian uh, general and special relativity, which is a lower resolution of quantum, right? So these, and I think the utility of these or the excellence of these tools or theories, it seems like The ones that are charged with optimal transjectivity, or maybe we could say fitness, right? Like what tool is most useful for the job? That is what's closest to the cutting edge of reality, right? The pre-intellectual cutting edge of reality. And so all these words become very interconnected. We've got value, excellence, and then another really important one, which will, will root the connection between these later, worth, to be worthy to be worthwhile, like the, I think those words, they speak across these domains, right? Of like, how much is a tool worth? Is the person worthy of the job? Is the pursuit worthwhile? It talks about this, this domain of relevance that we're navigating um, mm-hmm. with these physical and, and um, psychotechnological tools.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting when you were talking about the fractal nature of, of, a, of a truth, um, that is the the fundamental function of an archetypal myth: is that mm-hmm. contained within its structure is a is a seed of truth, yes. which is applicable at multiple layers of reality. Yes. Uh, so it's it's applicable in multiple scenarios. So it, it's it's got a polysemic uh, uti- utility that you can yes. use it in various uh, resolutions of life, yes. and it's it coded in what seems like poetic superstition, blah blah blah. But if you exclude the, let's say, the excessive, atheistic, scientific nitpicking, and you extract from it simply the moral, the, the excellence, the, the moral excellence, which is contained within it, and you deploy it in your life, mm-hmm. then you will have a more worthy life. Yes. <laughs> so yes. it in, it, inclu- it increases the worth of your experience by yeah. employing it, much like a tool. An archetypal myth is a very excellent tool. Yes. You know, and, and, and uh, a whole religion would be
0: an ecology of these tools we've pulled together and discovered over time. The other key point to the myth is that it is maximally relatable, mm-hmm. right? The, the low minded individual can understand it as easily yeah. as the high minded individual yeah. and across multiple levels. And to your point, it's a tool in the sense that it maximizes data compression too. Mm-hmm. You can take all of these
1: lessons across
0: the grandest yeah. patterns of human history and crystallize it into a parable
1: like Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. 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 The data compression is, is such an important component because it's, yeah. it's compressed in such a way that it's got the smallest amount of, of data, but it's also formatted in such a way that the maximal amount of market participants can receive decompress Mm -hmm. understand and and integrate it
0: yeah it's incredible it's it's encrypted in a way right encrypted in a way to i guess also to to maximize its longevity right these when you narrativize these morals they stick much better in our uh neural architecture
1: yeah 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 say they're salient high salience
0: yes high salience Mm. exactly
1: uh, and this segues in, so I'm going to continue the quote. this segues in nicely to, um, piercing using an analogy. So we, we use mythology there, but piercing says, or using another analogy saying that a metaphysics of quality is false and that a subject object metaphysics is true is like saying that rectangular coordinates are true and polar coordinates are false. Oh. A map with the North pole at the center is confusing at first, but it's every bit as correct as a Mercator map in the Arctic. It's the only map to have. Both are simply intellectual patterns for interpreting reality, and one can only say that in some circumstances, rectangular coordinates provide a better, simpler interpretation. The metaphysics of quality provides a better set of coordinates with which to interpret the world than does subject-object metaphysics because it is more inclusive. It explains more of the world and it explains it better. The MOQ can explain subject-object relationships beautifully But, as Phaedrus had seen in anthropology, a subject-object metaphysics can't explain values worth a damn. It has always been a mess of unconvincing psychological gibberish when it tries to explain values. Mm -hmm. This problem of trying to describe value in terms of substance has been the problem of a smaller container trying to contain a larger one. Value is not a subspecies of substance. Substance is a subspecies of value. When you reverse the containment process and define substance in terms of value, the mystery disappears. Substance is a quote-unquote stable pattern of inorganic values. The problem then disappears. The world of objects and the world of values is unified. It's, Beautiful. Uh, I mean, I, it's I it's just, to... it's what like makes my hair stand on end. Like yeah, I've read this book like same. eight times. And That's it's exactly
0: like, what I was just thinking. I've read this passage probably a dozen times and I get chill bumps still <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's has oh man he's just oh um it's connecting we'll, we'll, so many dots man it is it is yes and it's it's just, all of these all of these things we're describing where there's like an intuition or a mythology or some narrative architecture that we've just disregarded historically as some subjective gibberish all of the sudden is empirically, in a way, given primacy, through yeah. this, you know, em- empirically or rationally even it's, it's, yeah, he's making such a strong first principles argument for the fundamentalism of value,
1: it blows me away. This quote here, talks about what happens to free will, once you operate within the paradigm of metaphysics of quality, rather than subject object. Piersig says, in the metaphysics of quality, this dilemma uh, of free will from substance doesn't come up. To the extent that one's behavior is controlled by static patterns of quality, it is without choice. But to the extent that one follows dynamic quality, which is undefinable, one's behavior is free. The metaphysics of quality has much more to say about ethics, however, than simple resolution of the free will versus determinism controversy. The metaphysics of quality says... That if moral judgments are essentially assertions of value and if value is the fundamental ground stuff of the world then moral judgments are the fundamental ground stuff of the world it says that even at the most fundamental level of the universe static patterns of value and moral judgment are identical the laws of nature are moral laws of course it sounds peculiar at first and awkward and unnecessary to say that hydrogen and oxygen form water because it is moral to do so, but it is no less peculiar than to say a person goes to the movies because cause and effect forces of the cosmos force them to do so. In the past, logic has been that if humans are composed exclusively of atoms, and if atoms follow only the law of cause and effect, then people must follow the laws of cause and effect too. But this logic can be applied in the reverse direction we can just as easily deduce the morality of atoms from the observation that people are moral. If people exercise choice and people are composed exclusively of atoms, then it follows atoms must exercise choice too. The difference between these points of view is philosophic, not scientific. The questions of whether an electron does a certain thing because it has to or because it wants to is completely irrelevant to the data of what the electron does. So what Phaedrus was saying was that not just life, but everything is an ethical activity. It is nothing else. When inorganic patterns of reality create life, the metaphysics of quality postulates that they've done so because it's quote unquote better. And this definition of betterness, this beginning response to dynamic quality is an elementary unit of ethics upon which all right and wrong can be based.
0: It's amazing honestly i just to point out something at, at the beginning of the, that excerpt he says that to the extent that one's behavior is controlled by static patterns of quality it is without choice but to the extent that one follows dynamic quality which is undefinable one's behavior is free this is the delta between totalitarianism and the entrepreneurship. This is why statism and entrepreneurship are antithetical to one another. The state says you will abide your behavior and your actions will follow this template we have set out for you. You do not have choice, right? And I'm not saying this is black or white. This is, we could quantify this with the rate of taxation, actually. If you're under a 100% tax regime, you are a slave. You have no free choice. You are following a static pattern set upon you. If you are at a 0% taxation, you are a free man. You are a man of action of of self-sovereignty, of of absolute choice. You know, it's if you subscribe to praxeology, this is all it just you're like, "Oh, we're just taking the study of human action and applying it universally effectively." And you and you you come to perceive, I guess, through this lens of transjective metaphysics, this unbroken wholeness of endless exchange that extends everywhere. What else can that be but a market? What else can we call that, right? It's just this, this endless series of exchanges everywhere. And you know, the, the marketplace itself, if we just look at the economic marketplace here on earth, like again, that's, it's a process. It's everywhere and nowhere, right? It's omnipresent to us. It's omniscient to us and that it contains all of our collective knowledge. It is, our, it is humanity's treasury of knowledge is contained in the marketplace and it's omnipotent. It generates all wealth, all tools, all technology, all power that human beings possess comes from the marketplace. So this, just to put a button on it, the, what, what I would like to be able to deliver is this message that the free market itself is sacred in this respect. You know, it it is because sacrality itself is discovered in exchange. So the more we optimize for uninhibited exchange, the more we emulate the principle of this
1: principle of reality. Yeah, it's nature. Therefore, the
0: more abundance we create.
1: It's the most natural. It is. It is the natural way of the world. The natural it's order, a, something. It's the natural order, and yeah. to just to to, to, to wind back to something you said um, that the market is the is the sort of container of all human knowledge. Um, I think we could even, tr- in order to, to, to try and like buck certain say conventions here, even that description makes an emphasis on the on val- on the, the human centric aspect of the market what piercing would say is that that statement could be applied down to the biological level so you could say that the the, the biological marketplace is the store of of all of organic knowledge yes it's, it's it's a store of value like the, yes. the, the biological entities that we are contain within it all knowledge that the market had produced up until that stage of evolution yeah. it's it's the knowledge of the cells. It's the knowledge of of the of the of, of the, the, the atoms, the mass. It's, yes. the, it's the knowledge of everything. The way that everything has organised itself has self organised over the evolutionary period is the market formulating information. Yes, in it is bringing data, information. Our bodies are right. formation of, right. of data, and like pierce says, you're not seeing substance, you're seeing data. Everything is data. Like we're, we are just data information. Yes.
0: There's no substance or atomic structure. It's processual all the way down. Um, and this, this, even we're describing knowledge, right? But what is not knowledge is just how to act, right? It's like how we've learned to act, not we, we as human. I mean, we as humans clearly, but also we as like inorganic reality has learned how to act to attain higher freedom right it's achieved a certain level of freedom that it then becomes a layer upon which greater freedoms are built in the form of biology which you know then yeah. goes upward into social and intellectual it's just it blows me away